Switching mediation providers might seem like a pain in the ass, but it doesn't have to be. If you're thinking of making the transition from Mopub to IronSource, we've got you covered. First, we've created a dedicated tool that removes the manual work when migrating to IronSource mediation. Second, we'll be holding workshops with IronSource experts where you can have all your migration needs taken care of. And if you want to do it yourself, we also have technical documentation for migrating to IronSource mediation in our Knowledge Center. To learn more about these initiatives and begin monetizing with IronSource today, head to www.is.com forward slash migrate. That's www.is.com forward slash migrate. It's easy to make good choices when you have good insights, right? Well, AppSlyer's open platform provides the measurement, analytics, engagement, and fraud protection technologies you need to get the answers to all of your questions and make good choices for your business and customers. Is customer privacy important for you? Good. With AppSlyer, you can accurately measure your marketing while protecting customer privacy. Bringing in new customers is great. Getting accurate insights while protecting your customers' privacy is even better. AppSlyer's privacy-preserving measurement and cost aggregation technologies give you insights you can count on across channels, platforms, and devices. And here's something we all agree on. When it comes to the marketing, you should only pay for what works. AppSlice incremental lift testing makes it easy to make good choices for your marketing budget through accurate, unbiased insights into the true value of your marketing outcomes. Are you ready to start making good choices? Great. Go to AppSlyer.com and get yourself an attribution partner you deserve. Welcome, friends. It's uh, Ethan Levy here with a very special interview today for the Deconstructor of Fun audience. I'm here today with Chris Heatherly. Hello. Uh, Chris, welcome. Thank you. Chris, can, can you uh, uh, introduce yourself? I know you're at Recur. I forget your exact job title there. I am the head of engagement and games, but at some point uh, I will get a real title. <laughs> the head of the <laughs> Got it. And uh, uh, Recur is a uh, uh, NFT company. Uh, before we get into the mission of Recur, yeah. I, I, what I I want to give the audience a sense of your deep background in gaming because I think it's really interesting, given everything you've done, uh, that you've red pilled, as we say, and, and taken the plunge with Recur on NFTs and the intersection of NFTs, collectibles, entertainment brands, and gaming. I really want to go deep on that, but but first, can you set the scene? Tell us all a little bit about your uh, background. Yeah, so I've been in various tech-oriented businesses for my whole career, going back to uh, Web 1.0. So uh, uh, I've been in uh, this type of business for a long time. I was at Disney for 14 years. Um, and, uh, I started off running, uh, well, a consumer electronics business there, but, um, uh, running their toy business. And so I have a lot of background in actual physical collectibles and, and card games and things like that, that, that is part of my thinking, uh, influences a lot of my thinking around NFTs. Um, but then after toys, I wanted to get back into digital because that had been my background. And I went to, uh, run, uh, first club penguin uh and disney's mmos 
the much beloved Club Penguin, much beloved uh, and uh, missed Club Penguin, um, and, and that also informs a lot of my thinking around NFTs. Um, and then I uh, wound up running Disney's mobile business uh, for several years, um, and we had several, you know, top-grossing hits: uh, Star Wars Commander, Disney Emoji Blitz, which is now uh, at Jam City. Uh, and others. Um, and then I went over to Universal. You, were you involved with Where's My Water? I was not involved with Where's My Water. I, 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 I mean, barely as a publisher, but um, the creator of Where's My Water is one of my best friends, and we're actually oh. doing a side game together right now. Got so. it. Where's My um, Water? I just, it was such a fun and innovative game, like one of the few mobile games to actually use the touchscreen to make a new form of play. And I do miss those days when a premium title could be a top-grossing title and one of the biggest mobile game game successes. I have to say. Yeah, but, uh, um, it's uh, you know Tim uh, Fitz Randolph who made that game um, is uh, you know really a genius in the way that he does uh, physics gameplay and and uh, and you know really knows how to kind of in a Nintendo-esque way, kind of bring out um, the best in a platform. Um, mm-hmm. But anyway, so after after Disney, I went over to Universal, uh, and I built a games team over there, uh, and we were going to take a run at Disney. Uh, we had some successful titles, uh, uh, Jurassic World Alive, um, several of the Jurassic World games. We did a bunch of stuff in VR um, uh, and other things, uh, but... Uh, Universal had other priorities, and that's when I uh, left and spun out Disney Emoji Blitz to Network, uh, where I met nice. you, um, and worked there for a year getting that live. And then afterwards, I started consulting and advising, and that sort of led me into NFTs. Yeah, I know you're um, uh, just a fun connection beyond the network connection is uh, you're an advisor at GameFam, and I've become friendly with Joe, the CEO there, because he and my older brother went to high school together. Um, And they're doing great. They just did a Sonic game. Their Sonic game on Roblox hit over 100,000 concurrence the other day. So they're really proving out that you can do great games at scale on Roblox. Totally. Totally. They're crushing Uh, it. And, and And Twilight Daycare... Is also a yeah. big title for them, and they've licensed it out as a toy line to Wowie, so they're they're doing fantastic. Yeah, and if if I remember, Club Penguin was a huge business, wasn't it? Oh it was yeah, a, I mean just it a was massive a, it, success. Yeah, it was the, it was the it was the brand of a generation. I mean, it was pre Minecraft. Um, it never got as big as Minecraft or or Roblox. Eventually, Roblox was actually very um inspired by club penguin initially um but it was yeah it was a it was a cultural phenomenon and uh you know still is to this day i mean you you know there are still kids on or i call them kids but they're you know they're adults now that are on twitter who sport their <laughs> probably my and, yeah the club penguin yeah. Was, it was a really special time and a great um you know, it was, we were really dedicated to community and really dedicated to, you know, there was a lot of interplay between the developers and the audience um, that I think is something that is very relevant to the way these communities around NFTs are forming. 
Got it. Yeah, so a very long uh, career in gaming, in toys, in entertainment, working with some of the biggest brands in the world, like you said. Yeah. Uh, working at Disney, working on Pirates of the Caribbean, Club Penguin, um, Jurassic Park, Star Wars, uh, success on mobile, success in MMOs, uh, success on roadblocks. And now, how did you first get introduced to Recur? So I was advising, um, and uh, the way I got into NFTs is kind of funny. So I got a call from a friend from the toy industry who had sold his company and uh, bought a million dollars in Pokemon cards and decided over the, uh, his name's Jeremy Padauer, and uh, decided <laughs> he's always been this. Really... I hope that wasn't all that. I hope he didn't sell his company and plow it all. No, 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 no. Even, it's, it's even if I'm sure that was no. lucrative, just mentally. No. The... <laughs> no. So, he, so he bought a million dollars in Pokemon cards and over the pandemic, started uh doing these uh these instagram videos where he would talk about the collectability because he's always been a collectability collectibles mm -hmm. expert and he started amassing this really huge following of people who were into trading cards and collectibles uh and wound up making friends with all kinds of folks including logan paul and so mm -hmm. he calls me one day and says logan wants to get into nfts and he wants to do something with club penguin can you talk to him? And I wound up spending a couple hours talking to Logan about his point if, of view on, yeah. <laughs> if, if that sentence isn't the premise of a William Gibson near future novel, I don't know what is, right? Well, so I wind, up, I wind up talking to Logan for a couple hours and he's a great guy, very smart uh. businessman. And, you know, he's sort of laying out for me why NFTs are, are going to be the next big thing. And uh, we didn't wind up pulling off the, the Club Penguin thing, but I started posting about NFTs on Facebook. And it's the one time Facebook has not gotten me in trouble and actually brought me something good. So, <laughs> um, so another friend of mine who, uh, who from Disney, uh, Stephen Teglis, who had been to Disney and Warner Brothers, had just started at a company that that was like brand, brand, brand new called Recur. And he called me and said, hey, I see you're talking about NFTs. We should talk. I'm working at this new company. I want you to kind of check these guys out. Tell me what you think. And I wind up talking to the two founders of the company. And one had come from the kind of the consumer products e-commerce side, did a lot of uh, print-on-demand e-commerce stuff for Got it. Uh, for the studios. And the other one had a very deep, Zach Brush, who's our CEO now, um, had a very deep uh, um, DeFi background. And he had been built some of the biggest, you know, high-frequency trading desks in crypto and brought Got along it. with him this really badass engineering team of crypto folks that had come from places like Poloniex and Circle and several of them had had built the USDC stablecoin, oh, and cool. he made a really good argument that a lot of these companies in the gaming side, uh, in you know, and other places that were getting into NFTs that didn't have the DeFi background were going to run into a lot of problems with the financial side of NFTs and the security. Uh, aspect, uh, the regulatory aspect, the fiat on and off ramps, all that kind of, right. all the kind of like plumbing that you need to be really s successful 
at dealing with crypto and real, you know, real money transactions. And so um, very, uh, very prescient man. I mean, like we just yeah. saw we, the nine nine figure hack of Ronin and, and I'll yeah. even just call it a hack in quotes because really it was a, it was a social engineering exploit of bad hygiene on the way a side chain was set up with nine validator nodes. So, you know, uh, and then what another, another hack, we've seen a lot of nine figure hacks in the space. So knowing that, uh, many people are going to have issues with the security setup. Um, and I'm starting to understand a little bit more of the regulatory environment myself. And it's, you know, this is 10 times more complicated than when we wanted to give money away to people for playing Tetris on their phones. So, yeah, it's, uh, and, and it's look, a, lot. a lot of this stuff is 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 you know stuff that is beyond me, and I don't even want to know. Like I want, like I'm glad to be working <laughs> with guys who who have done this with USDC and right. who have who have built these platforms before and run into these problems before. Because as a game maker, I want to focus on I want to make focus on making games and content. Um, so that's yeah. how I got that's how I got introduced to recur. So that was. February of last year. Fast forward to today, we've got 170 employees, all distributed. So we built this whole company distributed over the pandemic. Um, wow. We've got we've we've launched uh, we've launched our products. So we have our we, we first did an initial drop for uh, recur pass holders, which is uh, which is sort of the um, like the VIP pass of of recur. Um, and, yeah. and uh, full, full disclosure, I, I have a recur pass and I've got NFTs in two of your experiences. So thank you, know, you. I am just by talking to you, I am kind of shilling my bag, but that's not why we're having this conversation. Well, I, I'm glad to hear it. And, um, and, uh, so yeah. we, uh, uh, and then we launched, uh, NFTU, which is, uh, which is, uh, college, uh, bat started as college basketball, but we'll be doing. Uh, college football in the fall. Um, we signed up 55 schools uh, and about, I think, wow. 150 athletes. So we did that right after the Supreme Court made their big uh, decision, uh, launched that product, and then uh, we just launched uh, Star Trek. Um, and yeah. I got, you know, I, at first I was an advisor with these guys, and then, um, and then, Right around October, we did the raise. We raised fifty-five million on. I think it was a third of a billion dollars. We um, we closed all those rights on NCAA, and then we did this amazing deal with Paramount, which is basically a studio-wide, company-wide partnership on everything they do uh, on all their IP in NFTs. Um, and then we closed Sanrio, and I was like, "This this company's oh, nice. on a rocket ship. The NFT space is taking off. Like, I'm really going to regret if I don't come on board." And that's how that's how I got to be where I'm at. Yeah, and I've mentioned, I think, you know, in, in some of the um, news updates um, on on tokenomics because I've been following. I think you guys had uh, your initial uh, NFTU drop sold out pretty quickly i couldn't nab one the day it sold out even though i had the vip pass uh the star wars there was a an issue of five thousand ships trek. that sold out in a, in a trek will be killed if you said star trek. Star wars. oh my goodness 
Oh, <laughs> there, there were five thousand Star Trek uh, 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 captain ships that sold out right away. So, like, yeah. you're finding um, uh, a fit between audience and uh, these branded experiences. And you know, if you say Sanrio, I'm pretty sure there are a lot of people who want some Hello Kitty NFTs. Um, so, what was the moment you red pilled? Was it talking to Logan Paul? Was he the was he your Morpheus or was was there a moment for you? Um, I think the moment for me honestly was I got involved as an advisor at first because mm-hmm. I I thought okay this space is really interesting and I buy the premise of NFT collectibles and and I could see how this is going to work in games but. Clearly, there's a lot of froth in this market, right? And at some point, the the bubble is going to pop. And do I want to throw my career behind this or not? Kind of, you know, not knowing how much of this is going to be speculative. And then what happened was around the end of last summer, the bubble popped in a, in a big way. Mm-hmm. And the market really tanked. And then it came back, like, stronger and bigger than ever. Right. And it's happened a couple times since then. I mean, you know, we recently saw another, you know, another another um, decline in the market driven by a lot of the macroeconomic stuff that's going on. And then over the last couple of weeks, you've had several major, uh, hugely successful uh, NFT, you know, drops, uh, uh, you know, uh, Moonbirds being, you know, one of them. And... Um, it's just this market, you know, what it proved to me is this market is not, is not going to slow down the trend for NFTs and people, the number of people coming into the NFT ecosystem is going to overcome kind of any other macroeconomic stuff that's going on. Um, and you know, there's a lot of education, there's, you know, there's a lot of FUD, there's a lot of, you know, haters on Twitter or whatever, but when you look at what's really happening with the with users and dollars, like this market is 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 just growing leaps and bounds. And to me, I just looked at it and thought, hey, this is I've been through web one, I've been through web two, I've been through mobile, right? I've been through all those cycles. Every ten years something comes along and completely changes the game. Yeah. And the more I started looking at crypto and NFTs, I'm like, this is gonna change everything like this technology is going to revolutionize banking uh, you know uh you know governance all kinds of other things and uh, you know i was like look you you, you want to be i'm the kind of person who likes being on the cutting edge of stuff and so i was like all right this is the this is the next 10 years of my career i'm i'm it you know yeah um you know, I've talked uh, around it a little bit, uh, but what is the mission of Recur? Uh, you know, we know what they're doing with, you've got uh, branded partnerships, you've got college sports, uh, you've got this VIP pass. Uh, but what is, t- taking just like a, a, a basic look at it, what is the company, what is its mission? Yeah. So there's two things we do. Um, we, the, the the first is the platform. Um, and long term the, the the real business is about is about the platform and the technology so mm-hmm. um we took a bet on being chain agnostic um a, a, you know coin agnostic so we don't have we don't have a currency we don't have a blockchain 
Um, we have we have our own uh, platform that can, that can that is compatible with it can work with uh, any blockchain, um, and we have some really cool technology that allows you to uh, shift NFTs from one uh, chain to another chain um, that will uh, that that we will be using increasingly, and I think create a lot of interoperability that will be super important as we get into the metaverse. Um, but that's one of the things is we, is we are uh, chain agnostic our, because our guys come from a DeFi pot, uh, background, we have, um, you know, the best payment system. Um, so you don't just have, uh, you don't, you can pay with crypto, but, um, but you can also pay with Apple pay. You can pay with a yeah. uh, credit card. I think it's something like 70% of our uh, customers pay uh, currently in fiat currency. Um, and we think that's really important to expanding the market because not everybody knows how to set up a MetaMask and all of this other stuff. You don't have to set up a wallet. We automatically give you a wallet when you uh, when you sign up for the service. So, you know, buying on our on our platform is as streamlined as it, the most streamlined e-commerce experience you've ever uh, bought anything from. Like literally it's click on what you want, press pay, Apple Pay shows up, you know, use your Apple Pay and it's in your and it's in your wallet. Um, and I we was have... uh, uh, during the, the Star Trek drop, I was on a teacup style ride at the Strawberry Festival nearby with my kids when the when the clock ticked over and, and I uh, bought uh, pretty easily on this teacup with uh, Apple Pay uh, without my wife getting mad at me or noticing that I was doing it. So that's the greatest story. I can one that we're going to use. I can it's, attest. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 it. The other thing the, is our the default. number of layers with which she could have gotten uh, angry with me. Right. If I was like, but the drop's happening right now. It's going to sell out. Oh, if it had been with MetaMask and all of that, you'd have been fiddling. You'd have missed the whole ride, yeah. right? I mean, yeah. um, you know, so the other thing is our technology is serverless, so it just scales like, you know, you mentioned uh, okay. we sold out in, in a couple minutes on NFTU, and I think we had something like, you know, 7,000 concurrent transactions happening at once. Like, we, we can, you know, mm -hmm. most... NFT sites are notorious for just going down and crashing. Um, you know, I'll never yeah. say never, but we, you know, we are very resilient and, and architected for tremendous scale. Um, and, and there are, you know, we're, uh, we're, we're carbon neutral. We use layer twos. We, uh, we uh, make donations to carbon offsets. Um, so we're handling the, you know, all the energy concerns. Um, and then the other thing that our platform does is that we build these very bespoke experiences. So instead of an open sea where um, where you're on this kind of generic marketplace, um, we the the whole look and feel of your uh, site can be branded to you, and that's what's important to our brand partners like uh, you know Viacom and or, or Paramount uh, and 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 others is that we can create a very you know, bespoke branded user experience. And along with that comes the gamification. And that's how I got involved is um, helping build out uh, the gamification systems so that uh, we have a real collecting experience. And it's not just about buy an NFT, get an NFT, 
but you can, you know, we're building things into the platform like, you know, mechanics like sharding and crafting and merging and burning, mm. um, all kinds of, you know, cool verbs that game designers will be able to use right. to run interesting uh, NFT programs over the long term. And, you know, the more I get into NFTs, the more I realize that that stuff is really important in how collectors think about collecting over over a period of time. Got it. And so in your mind, it sounds like you're building mostly um, recur is doing the building of experiences with the for these brand partnerships. Is that the end goal or is that the proving out? Uh, like, will there be a point at which game developers uh, who are looking for a platform partner will be reaching out to you because they want a self-contained uh, frictionless layer two solution to run the uh, NFT marketplace and minting and uh, all these features for their for their game. Is that is that I'm kind of guessing that's where you're going? Yeah, it sounds like- In, internally we kind of think about it like Epic, where you know they they started as a game studio, but they built the mm-hmm. Unreal platform first to create tools for themselves to use and then said hey this is something that that games develop game developers everywhere can use and but they never got out of the business of making games they continue to be a game developer and um they dog food their own uh you know features and functionality on themselves first before they um before they uh you know, roll it out to uh, third parties. And so we want to do the same thing. So that, so the gaming studio that I run is really about um, one servicing these enormous brands that don't necessarily want to get into the mechanics of running an NFT business um, and want someone that can handle that for them in a really white glove glove way. But two, um, you know, using that to push the boundaries of our platform and uh, create capabilities that then we can turn into tools and automation that we can roll out to third-party developers. Got it. That makes a lot of sense. Um, so I, I assume that you are um, bringing people who are maybe crypto enthusiasts or crypto cur- curious from the game development community into recurs. Sorry for interrupting this podcast, but I got an important message. It's about increasing your game's revenues. I bet your mobile games is ready to find new untapped audience and a juicy 40% revenue boost. Well, you can achieve global reach and acquire new players with local payment methods and exclusive content and with huge savings on platform fees. After recent events allowing developers to sell virtual items and currencies directly to players with a substantial savings on transaction fees, Exola launched WebShop for mobile games. This timely solution helps you unlock global potential and grow your mobile games beyond the App Store and unite your player community across all devices. Plus, it can also improve discoverability and boost player retention. If you're ready to increase revenue, save on fees, and regain control over distribution, Exola Web Shop for mobile games can help you succeed. Visit exola.pro slash D-O-F or go to the link in this podcast description. Now, back to the episode. You're building out this studio, and I'm curious, what are the 
what are the uh, mindset challenges or workflow challenges that someone uh, who comes from a mobile free-to-play background like many in the Deconstructor Fun audience, uh, when, when they make the shift over from building a mobile-based free-to-play game to a, a Web3 game or game experience, what are some of the challenges they face? Um, well, one of the things that we're initially focused on NFT collectibles and we're starting to work mm-hmm. our way into play to earn instead of starting with, I feel like a lot of game develop, a lot of the play to earn game concepts that I see floating around feel to me like somebody had a game they wanted to make and they couldn't get it funded. It's free to play or they couldn't. Right. You know, and, and they're like, Hey, if I, you know, take that proposal and put the word nft in it um and play to earn suddenly it's fundable right Um, you know we started from the collectibles and and then i brought in gaming talent and we're 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 gonna start doing things that are we are gonna start doing play to earn games but one of the things i like about where we started is focusing just on the collectible experience has forced us to really think deeply about these real world economies, how they function, what the collecting dynamics are, um, and, and, um, you know, what makes collecting within these economies compelling. Um, and I think that's one of the things that's going to be a big surprise for free to play developers is, you know, in free to play, like you can turn on those, those, um, those, uh, spigots, you know, whenever you want. And the amount of, you know, the amount of characters that you generate from your, you know, from, uh, you know, the number of Wolverines in Contest of Champions, you know, nobody knows how many there are, nobody cares. But suddenly, when you start thinking about a game where everything is a scarce resource, um, you have to, that that inherently is going to change all of the dynamics, and it's going to change the gameplay. And so you have to rethink a lot of your um, things that were just taken for granted in the in the free-to-play space and think about everything from the perspective of scarcity um, and what and what impact that has um, I'll give you a design challenge that like we're thinking about right now with regard to Star Trek which is okay we, we've announced that the next thing that you can get is crew um, mm-hmm. and one of the things we're talking about is, the 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 number of crew that you can put on a ship is directly uh or the number of crew that we release in a drop is tied it's tied to intrinsically the number of crew that you can enable on a ship so you have to find that uh sweet spot between what you allow the ship to do right and how many crew it consumes and how many crew you put out into the economy so that you don't have, you know, users who've got too much crew in their account, because then what happens is the floor price of crew goes through the floor. Right. Um, and where you have enough draw, where you have enough draw on the crew so that there's some scarcity so that I want to go to the marketplace and buy another crew in order to, for, in, in order to uh, further my game and in which there's a, there's a buyer for that seller, right? So... Um, you have to think about all of those market dynamics and what and what the impact of the things that you're putting into the economy have on the economy overall and all the other users and the users who came before because 
um, you know, there's a there's a high sensitivity that your origin users, the people who are your initial cohort, what we would call the golden core, golden cohort in mobile games, you know, those people don't want to get diluted and see their initial right. investment uh, uh, drop through the floor. So there's a lot more to think about in that regard, and I really and I think that really solid economy design. Uh, is going to, you know, economy designers are, are going to have a heyday in this stuff and they're going to be a very prized commodity. Yeah. It's, it's, these challenges are, because um, I'm going through some of it myself on, on Legendary Heroes Unchained, and they're very exciting challenges and they're also really scary uh, yeah. because, like, I just finished the first draft of a white paper and I don't know what language is going to, you know, survive through compliance review to the to the final version or not, but, like, I did a lot of writing about how we are going to not have any power creep and that the height of power of the first heroes you ever buy are going to be the same as the height of power, you know, three years, five years down the line. Um, and that's the game I want to build because I think it's much better for players, but you're relying, um, you know, in, in, in mobile, it's like when we sell a card pack, our goal, we set a sales target internally and we hit it or we don't hit it, but the users don't know and it doesn't affect them at all. Right. Whereas like with NFT, with an NFT drop, you don't set a sales target. You actually manufacture a number of card packs. And uh, if they don't all sell out, it, it affects the perceived value of the ones that were purchased. It's such an interesting uh and different way to think about running your economy. And I'm, I'm, I mean, it's, it's part of why I red pilled is just because of the excitement of it, of, yeah. of just a brand new, uh, um, game design challenge that no one had any answers for, but like, you know, I'll, I'll wake up at two in the morning every now and then go like, ah, is <laughs> like, are we making the right choices? It's, well, it's for, fun and scary. Fortunately at recur, we have, uh, a great design team and we hired a guy named Chris Fidalgo who is the best economy designer I've worked with and he has this method called value add value out um, mm -hmm. and um, it's something that we are going to build into all of our tools and um, and so hopefully we will have tools that will allow uh, creators to uh, will help creators solve some of those problems because you know not everyone can get the expertise that 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 we've got or you've got um right. you know and so if we're able to build that into tools it'll make it easier the, the the other the other thing that connected to that that you have to think about as a game designer is um the the market's gonna speak right in ways that you don't um anticipate as a designer and so you you have to um think more about kind of the market forces and the market being the game hmm. um you know and the mark anyone and connected that is anyone who thinks this business is just about primary sales i think is fooling themselves the secondary right. market is where you, your project is going to live or die because if no one if there's no demand on the secondary market then there's not going to be any any interest in your in your future primary sales drops so you have to really focus on how your game mechanics help drive uh transactions and help you know drive reasons for people to trade with one another in the secondary in the secondary marketplace 
if you do that, then you'll have a thriving uh, economy and then you can continue to kind of put more NFTs in it. But if you just start spamming NFTs into a market where um, your your holders are not seeing, uh, you know, robust trading activity, they're going to they're going to dry up on you. Um, yeah. So you really, you know, I think that a lot of game designers are used to having control of the whole picture themselves and you you have to think more like uh you, you know the you have to think almost more like you know you're sitting outside of the marketplace and you're observing the behavior going on and then responding to it and kind of iterating with the market uh as opposed to being able to predict all the outcomes before uh, before they happen, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, absolutely. I, um, you know, I watched the uh, Champions Ascension uh, primary minting pretty closely, and I actually ended up buying two. Um, and it's a, a, it was a real, that's the Jam City, you know, yeah. it looks like kind of gotcha-based hero collector. And, I mean, one, to speak of, like, external market forces, I'm, no one could have predicted that a war would break out literally the day uh, of or the day before the minting. And, of course, something of that level of global uh, news and economy shock is going to influence people's behavior. Mm -hmm. um, but whether that was or wasn't a contributing factor, you know, I felt like the way they priced it, that they would like Jam City's a rich company. They have a lot of money. Um, if I had been running that project, I would have been at least, or if I'd been in that project, I would have been said, Hey, we should sell at a much lower price and make sure we sell out this primary instead of using this Dutch auction format that's intended to maximize the price, uh, or maximize the, the sales price of each individual one, because they didn't, they didn't sell all 10,000. And I think they would have had a healthier start to their project had they sold out 10,000 heroes at a much lower price than sold at 7,500 at, you know, whatever, uh, values ranging between one and, and 0.3 ETH by the time it dropped to the bottom. Um, yeah, look, yeah, I mean, I think, we, had a, we had a lot of, we had a lot of learnings from some of our releases too. And, yeah. um, you know, we recently kind of looked ourselves in the mirror as a company and said, Hey, what are we, you know, are we focused on primary sales here or secondary sales? The right. reason the company is called Recur is that our team created the the Ethereum standard for recurring royalties. Before okay. us, there was no there was no standard way to uh, enforce royalty payments as NFTs traveled from chain to chain or from environment to environment. Right. So, um, so you had a lot of people selling to these, you know, movie studios and everyone like, and then you get these recurring royalties and it wasn't really technically true. Now it is because of the technology we created, but, but, you know, we, we made a decision as a company, we're focused on driving, uh, you know, secondary market success and long-term success for our NFT yeah. programs. And the decisions we're going to make going forward are going to be consistent with that. You know, but it's but it's but it but that's a big realization that I think uh, a lot of NFT companies are going to have to come to because there is a huge temptation to make a lot of money on the primary to make all your money off of the primary sale yep. 
but you know and in order to uh, you know say hey we're really about driving secondary you have to have a lot of confidence in your game design and your team and what you're doing um, and you have to you have to take that bet but that's the bet that we as a company are going to be making got it yeah as in, in my fantasy world where I write about five articles for every one that I actually finish uh, I'm, I'm gonna add to that list of things I need to write I should um, build a build a spreadsheet model and explain how important those secondary market activity and and holding and growing your value over the course of 10 years is as opposed to um, maximizing trying to maximize everything you know we sales. both worked for Neil right who who right. Uh, I always call him my uh, gotcha sensei um, because right. I learned so much working with him and I think he's got a very unique design mind but you know Neil founded network on the premise of what if you focus on the payers? What if you're focused mm-hmm. on a horde of people that really pay for your game and how you build an experience that's that's great for them and allows them to continue to engage both as players but also financially into your game? And when you do that, you start making different decisions, right? And that's one right. of the things that I found working with with Neil is that some of the decisions I was making when I was at Disney or Universal were, you know, thinking about mobile games more like a funnel where it's like you've got all of these free players coming in and then I'm trying to convert these people as opposed to, Mm -hmm. yeah, we should optimize that. But really what we want to do is make a compelling experience for payers and then that will drive the conversion. Um, It's the same thing here where it's a similar thought pattern here, which is which is secondary markets is what make is going to where this business is going to live or die. And if you're not convicted about that, it's going to get harder and harder to demonstrate to to NFT collectors why they should buy into your to your project in the first place. And if you start thinking that way, you start making different design decisions. So you start thinking, okay, well, if it's about secondary markets, then then why should some why would anyone buy an nft from somebody else like if mm-hmm. i have a character in champions like you brought up and i bought it why would someone want to buy it from me and what makes that more valuable in the eyes of other collectors in the community and why would someone you know a year from now want to buy from an elder who was part of the origin collection and all of these other types of things you start yeah. to really think differently about what your design is and why you're doing what you're doing, but I, but I'm convinced that's where um, the success is going to come from. Yeah, absolutely. I, um, you know, if if anybody was at my last um, GDC talk, which was not this one, but the the virtual one, where I talked about building a ten year game economy, I was kind of, I was working on an NFT driven game in the background, and so these were the types of design questions I was wrestling with, which is. Uh, if I'm doing a hero collecting game, how do I make sure that my hero's stats or traits that are immutably written, let's say six months before the first time people play it, how do I make sure that those are still valid for a game mode that I'm not going to design for five years? Right. Mm-hmm. That is a, that's a big challenge. And uh, I at least have a way that I think I've solved it. Um, hopefully I made some smart decisions, but it's it's really um, 
for me, what I what I like about the idea of NFT based gaming is that it forces you the revenue model. What brings success forces you to put your players' long term interests around engagement ahead of any short term economic concerns totally. that you might have. Totally, totally. And that you have to basically always have that, as you said, like that. What creates that secondary market activity? Why is someone going to want to buy this from somebody else three years from now? Like. Always thinking about the long-term view. Well, I let think me, we will let me end see up if making... I can red you on this. So yeah. <laughs> a big epiphany for me that has kind of changed how I think about NFTs is John Radoff, who um, I'm advisor, an advisor to Beamable, but we've been friends for a long mm-hmm. time. And, you know, um, I kind of call him my metaverse Sherpa. Um yeah, and he he, you know, he definitely was the one who first incepted that NFTs are going to be a real thing into my brain. Yeah, he's uh, he's a really good thinker about this. But he posted he said something in one of his blog posts and that stuck with me, which is he said, "I envision a different type of game company that's more like Wizards of the Coast or or Games yeah. Workshop, where um, it's." It's NFT collectibles first, and and then players are going to find the way to play it. So, you know, he, mm. he was using the example of Magic, Magic the Gathering and saying Magic was originally meant to be one versus one, but players came up with rules that allowed you to play it with bigger groups, and that led to tournaments and all kinds of other things, and that built the success of Magic. And, and um, you know, the Games Workshop and Warhammer are the same thing, where there's lots of ways, you know, rule books for how to play those games. Um, and fans figure out how they want to play with their, with, their, uh, with their collectibles. Yeah. And, you know, in the metaverse, which I believe is happening, I'm seeing it being built every day, I think that... Um, you know, we don't have to create all the gameplay. It might be about creating collectibles that are worth playing in different ways, and then we let users come up with game modes around those around those mm-hmm. collectibles where they want to play. If they want to play in Decentraland or Sandbox or Rec Room or Meta's thing or whatever. You know, if it, it, if we get to a place where people want to go uh, from place to place in the metaverse and they want to take their collectibles with them and they want to play with them, that kind of idea starts to become really compelling. So, you know, increasingly we're kind of thinking about our NFTs from the point of view of like, what does it mean within our ecosystem? What does it mean outside of our ecosystem? You know? Hmm. Interesting. Yeah, that one's um, that one's challenging for me because on one hand, um, like my first experiences doing the, my two first experiences doing game design, right? One is like friends, my friends I play Magic with go to Gen Con in Wisconsin, and then they come back and they're like, "Oh, we can play new games with our stuff, or we can just invent our own games." And then we all just started making like a pen and paper battler roughly based off D D combat rules and i spent like the next couple weeks in my room like making up little character sheets and naming them and, and giving them stats based on nothing so like hands-on that exact like um oh we can take the physical things we have and do new things with them 
mm-hmm. and basically use our imaginations. So that's one experience I had that was very formative. And another kind of at the same time was building maps in StarCraft. Uh, very bad maps, but just n- knowing that the that my f- my favorite game at the time shipped with the set of tools that I could use, and then I used them and shared maps with my friends. And so um, as we've gone from PC gaming to console, you know, multiplayer gaming being mostly on console and, and, and um, mobile, we've lost a lot of that modding uh, mm-hmm. that used to be central to so many of the most successful games um, and games that grew really big communities around them. So I'm excited about the, prem- the premise for sure. And I think the challenge is it's really easy when you own the cards to use words to figure out new ways to play with them or when you own the figures. And it's much harder once these things are in code and it comes down to the tools, you know, it, that somebody gives to you to build with those with. So, um, it's something I, it's something I'd love to see and it's all going to come down to the quality of the tools, the, the accessibility of the tools, yeah. um, to make these experiences happen, well, but I'd I- love for it to. I heard our friend Mishka. Yeah, some of my... He was recently very, uh, I think on one of the to- Tokenomics <laughs> podcasts, very skeptical about the Hangout MMO type thing. And I, I don't right. think, you know, what Meta is doing is the right approach either. But, you know, I mean, Club Penguin was built off of people hanging out with one another. And we made, you know, three quarters of a billion dollars. Like it was, you know, yeah. the kind of the social, I wouldn't discount the idea of the social... Uh, MMO hangout space, especially with this generation, like what's going on with this generation of, of kids that are really, or, you know, young adults that are into NFTs is they're digital first, they're digital natives that grew up with, uh, you know, with all this stuff, they grew up with social media, their, their, their friends are all online. Their persona is, you know, their, their Instagram account or their TikTok account. And so that's the reason that one of the first pieces of utility is using uh, is is uh, your your uh, your avatar for your or your profile picture on Instagram or or or, or uh, Twitter or some of these social media uh, platforms. But avatars are coming right behind it, and you're going to have avatars that you know like Ready Player Me that you had on the podcast that people are going to want are going to want to buy and own. And then mm-hmm. it's going to be, okay, well, I want to go somewhere with them. And then creators are going to create places for people to go. And a lot of those places will suck and they won't be, um, you know, uh, they won't be, you know, super compelling, but some of them will break through. And you see this phenomenon, Roblox has proven this out, which is that, the, you know, the YouTube of gaming is going to happen, right? You're going to have a lot mm-hmm. of user-generated gaming content you have a whole generation of kids i mean i see it with my son they, they, he's at usc right now right with which, right. which is your alma, alma mater yeah he's all taking of one friends. of the most important classes i ever took in my life thank yeah, you to go. chris all, wayne and tracy fullerton yeah right? all of his friends are <laughs> you know grew up playing games but they also um uh you know grew up watching all of these youtube videos about making games so they know right. the mechanics and all this stuff so much better than you or i did coming up and right. you know they get started modding in you know making stuff in roblox and and minecraft and some of these platforms and so you know you're gonna have this very game aware 
very game interested, robust creator economy that's going to produce a lot of crap. But out of that will come some really cool things. Um, and right now, Roblox is the only platform that's really got that. But I, I think you're going to see three or four or five Robloxes with, that do different things in different ways. And then people are going to want to move between them in some fashion, and that'll be your wallet and your avatar. And that the, av the, the metaverse is going to be built. I don't think it's going to come from some company like, like Facebook that goes out and invests a billion dollars and makes it and says, here mm -hmm. you go. We built the metaverse. It's going to be built brick by brick by creators and modders and, and, okay. and NFT creators who, who kind of add their piece to it. And, and it's going to emerge as this really dynamic ecosystem. Yeah, I think um, to go to my um, almost my uh, fear or the idea of like a phys physical objects, like I could, I could, as you were talking, I could see a story of someone saying, "Hey, I've got my Star Trek uh, captain ship NFT, and it's got all these traits, and I just printed out a bunch of cards and make a YouTube video. Here's a video of me playing a battler with these Star Trek ships." And then share it on the Discord for that experience. And there's nothing preventing someone else from then say, you know, like going away for a weekend and coming back and saying, like, "Hey, sign in with your wallet right here. Um, I made a game that we can. I made that game, and we can play it. And there's nothing the company can do to prevent us from having a website recognize that we own these objects, and now we can play a game with them. Like that's part of the excitement of of Web three is that. Um, you know, you can't right now query someone's uh, holdings, uh, their pops and Funko poplets, right? Outs outside of um, outside of the company, you can't see what somebody owns. But like, I could set up a game that recognizes what axes are in your wallet and recognizes their traits and allows you to play with them. Like, the opportunities for this level of modding are super interesting. Totally, totally. Well, I, although you know. If, if Funko Pop Blitz were NFTs, I think it would be a way bigger game because part mm -hmm. of the things that, we, that you're not replicating in free-to-play, I've, I've thought a lot about this, is, mm -hmm. is the scarcity, right? I mean, that's one of the big yeah. factors of collecting Funko Pops is there's only so many of them, and so you want to get them before they sell out so that you got the best, coolest collection. If everybody could have the same Funko Pops, it's just really not as exciting. And so, you know, that's where right. I do think this idea of scarcity um, combined with the modding and the thing we're talking about is going to create a really different experience than what we can do today. Yeah. You, you mentioned earlier that um, part of your background included working in toys and working in collectibles, and that's influencing how you're approaching um, the NFT space at Recur. I'm curious, what are some of the lessons or some of the thoughts from that toy space that you're bringing to your team at Recur that are that you're that are influencing how you guys go about building these digital experiences and digital economies? I think one of the things is the um, you, and you see this aesthetic in a lot of NFT stuff is um, the 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 own the 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 feeling of physicality um, around digital mm -hmm. things 
making them feel like something you own, even if you can't reach into your screen and take it out, um, the that emotional quality is really important. Um, and so, you know, when we design NFTs, we're really trying to design them as something that feels special and feels like something that you um, that 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 you actually have. Um, and that's like completely, you know, kind of a qualitative thing. You know, there's no way to quantify that. But, um, you know, you really want lustworthy objects, I think, uh, is one of the things, um, you know, thinking, you know, thinking about kind of how collector communities function socially and the things that we've done in toys or in physical trading cards that, you know, make people want to do, um, you know, make people want to collect. So like in trading cards, you have what's called a, a break where, you know, you've got the, you've got the, 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 the long box, right. Which is like a bunch of card packs. Mm -hmm. And then, and then if you yeah. watch like my friend, Jeremy, who, who, uh, bought a million dollars in Pokemon cards, you know, like one of the things he'll do is a break, right. And he'll open a box of Pokemon cards and then go in and pull out, you know, each of the packs and open each one of the packs. And pack opening is an entertainment experience on yeah. on Instagram and YouTube in these places. I mean, Neil used to say to us, all one, one thing that Neil said that really stuck with me was, um, he said, gotcha is an experience, entertainment experience unto itself. And when you start thinking that way, mm -hmm. it's like, okay, capsule toys, which get which gotcha is based on. Um, uh, you yeah. know, what are the, what are the moments of, when I think about a capsule toy experience, like what are those moments? Okay. I see the, I see the machine from afar. I got, I can see that it's got a lot of cool stuff in it. I go up to it. I put my coin in, I pull the handle. There's that moment of anticipation. Something comes out. I didn't, I open the, 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 the prize to see what I got. Like all, like all of those beats constitute the entertainment experience that is, the capsule yeah. toy, not just the reward, right? And it builds the emotion around it. Um, you know, the, the the break thing that I brought up, you know, drives huge social behavior or, or, or you know, collecting behavior because you've got, you've got collectors who will come in and, you know, who used to wait outside the Toys R Us until the Toys R Us opened because yeah. they knew the day that the that the car that the that the that the boxes weren't going to drop and they wanted to come in and buy the boxes and some of them they would sit on and hold for a million years and some of them they would open and sell to their friends uh, and and sell them a pack at a time or open the cards you know whether you open the the the, the long box matters whether you open the pack matters right and then what you do with the cards once yeah. you open it matters and so. You know, all of these are choices that, um, you know, don't exist when you don't have scarcity. You know, when, 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 yeah. you know, the concept of a long box sort of wouldn't matter in, you know, uh, you know, in, in, in free to play land. But in this world, like, if I were to, you know, drop you a long box of, 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 of NFTs and then you were able to, sell it to your friend to to your friends or to people who are you know who who want to buy nfts i've suddenly given you sort of a small business right and you're an entrepreneur and you're in the business of right. going out and in making the game bigger because you're figuring out 
you know, how to sell those NFTs that you have a financial interest in. So that, that, um, you know, that kind of like thinking about the collector mentality and what drives collection, the social behaviors around that, the moments that are important, the, 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 what makes a collectible worth something in the mind of a collector, those are all important learnings for the toy world that I think can be applied. Yeah, absolutely. Think, I mean, it's, it's kind of, it could be simplified to thinking about where you put your production value in your yeah. digital and visual storytelling. And like what I'm hearing, what I'm taking away from this is, um, oh, when somebody opens a digital card pack, it better be stream worthy, right? Like yeah. the, the interactive experience of it should be a, a scene partner that someone could play off of on their YouTube stream. Right. And that's what some of the better gotcha opening experiences are. hundred um, percent. Well, well, great. I, um, what, uh, you know, we're, we're getting near to the end point. So what can we expect from recur in the future? Uh, we know we've, we've got, uh, NFTU. We said college basketball is coming. We're doing, you're seeing Star Trek right now. Uh, hello kitty. But like from the platform, from the experiences, uh, what's what's the future look like? We're going to be doing launches, uh, at least one, uh, possibly two launches every month through uh, through through the end of the year. Um, you know, we've got wow. a lot of great content coming. Um, you know, we're you know we're grow. We've we've already announced with Star Trek that that's going to become a play to earn um, experience. You know what we're going to do. I don't want to say too much about it, but what we're going to do with that experience, I think is a little different from what other people are doing with play to earn games, because we want it to, we want to keep it focused on being a, a collectible experience that can, that a broad audience of people can resonate with that are not just uh, gamers. So we're trying to do Got something it. I think unique in the way that we're approaching that. Um, and that will be, if, you know, assuming that works, that's going to be a system that we, that, that we use a lot going forward. Um, you know, but we, you know, we've announced Sanrio, we've announced Care Bears. We have some amazing creative, uh, for that franchise. Um, we've got, you know, much more coming from Paramount. Um, so, you know, we've got, we've got our cup runneth over. Um, and it's really a question of how right. we can get this stuff to market now. Um, but, uh, you know, and then, you know, we're going to start getting into, into play to earn games. Um, and we're recruiting. So I need game designers. I need product managers. <laughs> I need, well, that, that naturally leads. Game designers, product managers, sorry, I cut, cut you off. Who, who else are you looking for? Game designers, you know? product managers, producers, uh, you know, smart people who want to learn about this space. We're, 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 we're hiring all types. Got it. And so then just to close it out, uh, if somebody wants to reach out to you, learn more about the Recur platform, inquire about any of these positions, what's the best way uh, for someone to reach you? Yeah, hit me up on LinkedIn um, is, is one easy way. Um, and, uh, and you can always reach me at, uh, Chris at recurforever.com. I think I'm probably going to regret, uh, <laughs> I'll probably get spam, but, uh, <laughs> you can always reach me. 
uh, at, at that email yeah. as well. But we're we're hiring and we want to hire yeah. great people. So uh, you know, I, I want people to have access. Right. And uh, if uh, totally unrelated to the past hour of conversation, if you're a fan of barbecue, like posting pictures of of your setup or asking other people for tips, there's also some great uh, Facebook groups that Chris runs around food uh, that that I've enjoyed getting uh, uh, some good feelies on my uh, brisket uh, pictures on. So there's that too. I'm here for barbecue tech support for you anytime. (laughs) Awesome. Well, Chris, it was a delight. Thanks so much. Yeah, same here. Thanks, man.